As we were singing that, I was thinking about how often Paul used language like that. Like, I, I thank God for you when I, when I think about you. And just re, uh, how his relationships brought him to a place of rejoicing and just praising God uh, for who he is and what he's done. So today, as we journey through Acts again together, uh, we're in Acts chapter 20. And uh, today is a pretty sorrowful goodbye and as I was preparing this week, it, it reminded me of about a year ago, uh, Amanda and I were engaging in some goodbyes together. So we, uh, let's see, July, it's like the second or third week of July was our first Sunday here. Um, and so we're coming up on that anniversary, and that means that uh, we're in the midst of a year ago, we were saying some pretty sorrowful goodbyes. So uh, the church I, I came from was my home church. Uh, I'd been on staff there for almost eight years in a couple different capacities. And over eight years, like you build some, uh, I mean, hopefully some really good relationships with people where there's sorrowful goodbyes. And uh, I'll never forget, so there's, I mean, love the staff that I got to work with over there. Um, but there was a, a lunch, and I had already kind of transitioned off of staff, but before we had left Columbia City, there was a lunch. We went to El Dorado, uh, Mexican joint in Columbia City. And I don't, I don't know why, but I, because I'm not necessarily a gift giver, but I brought gifts for my friends. And I love to read. And so I got books that I had read over the past however long that they hadn't engaged with because sometimes we would do stuff together. And I, I tried to sum up for them, like uh, my friend Elijah, I gave a, a book by Walter Brueggemann called The Prophetic Imagination. And it was all about uh, how prophets have to stand up to to empires and principalities, and they have to say like hard stuff sometimes, uh, but it leads us to this place of, of dreaming and imagining and realizing God's kingdom reality here on earth, and it fit him so perfectly, and so I tried to sum up our relationship in a book, and then my friend Brad, um, uh, I gave a book uh, called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and uh, Gentle and Lowly uh, is just, it's one of my favorite books of all time. It just talks about the heart of Jesus and how uh, it, it, towards us when we're sinning and we're far off, that it's not like repulsed by us, but it's drawn close to us. And Brad just embodies that so well. Like he is the, he is the poster child for gentleness and kindness and, and not being drawn away by people who are different than him or who, who might not live by the Christian ethic, but he's drawn to those people. And I was like, Brad, this sums you up so well. And then to, to my friend Holly, uh, I gave a book called Every Moment Holy um, because uh, it kind of sounds like her name, and I thought that, no, I'm kidding, uh, because uh, she has taught me so much about uh, engaging with God's presence in everything that I do. She was our worship pastor, uh, but it was so much more than like worshiping in this context. She taught me so much about like, no, when you're at home eating dinner, that's a time of worship. When you're changing diapers, that's a time of worship. So it was this book of, of liturgies and prayers. Um, and so I felt like in that moment, in a goodbye, I had to sum up what our relationship was. And I had to kind of put a fine point on, <clears throat> this is who you are to me, this is what you mean to me, and in the same context, this is what I'm hoping for you. And, and we see that played out uh, in, in our passage today, where we see Paul uh, and engaging in a goodbye with some leaders of the Ephesian church. And in a lot of ways, it's a distillation of, uh, of, the, um, 
of the relationship he's had with him up to that point. So uh, it's like a, a concentration. There, we, we've, I've been places before where it wasn't good coffee, but it was consistent coffee because you plug it into one of these machines and it just comes from concentrate. And concentrate is like the the essence, and then you have to mix it with water to make it spread. Um, but concentrate is like all of the essence of coffee <clears throat> packed into like a, a small amount of stuff. And that's what Paul is doing here. So all of that to be said, I think it's particularly, particularly important for us to look at what Paul says in a goodbye because in a goodbye, you're trying to do all of this work of like, you're not going to introduce new information in a goodbye. Like that would be weird of like, Jim, goodbye. You mean so much to me. Also, have I ever told you that I went paragliding once? You'd be like, that's a pointless, I've never done that, nor would I ever. But you'd be like, Jordan, that's a pointless piece of information in this moment. No, during goodbyes, you're summing up what the relationship is. And so Paul, in a really, really sorrowful goodbye to the Ephesian elders, uh, gives us some points, and they're not new. I have repeated myself so much, far more than I anticipated preaching through the book of Acts. Uh, and so they're not new points for us, but they're great reminders for, like, what are God's people supposed to be doing? And so he's talking to the uh, Ephesian elders, and, and here's what he says to sum up their relationship and to sum up what he wants them to know. Start with me, uh, Acts chapter 20, we're going to start in verse, let's do 18, okay? <clears throat> when they arrived, so he, he, sorry, he beckons the elders, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he says, go get me the elders, the leaders of the Ephesian church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, <clears throat> but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Let's stop right there for a little bit. First thing, there's, there's three things that are important for us to, to pull out here. Like I said, they're not new things. First thing is this. Our command as Jesus followers is to be witnesses. Is to be witnesses. Paul mentions this in a couple times. He mentions it in, in verse 20 as he talks about, I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. He's saying, I constantly bore witness to the ways that I could help you grow. He says it again in verse 21. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul is reminding them of what he's done, but he's not doing it so he can build out a resume. Instead, he's doing it to remind them what they should do and in turn remind us what we should do. Our command as Jesus followers is to be God's witnesses. Paul's life in this moment is pointed towards his purpose as a Jesus follower. And his purpose, if you'll remember his conversion, it's to testify to who God is, to be a witness to what God has done in our life, and, and this is our command, if you'll remember back with me to Acts chapter 1, all the way back in February, uh, Jesus is ascending, and what's the final command he gives during his goodbye? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. 
you will be my witnesses. And this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing as Jesus followers, that we are God's witnesses in every area of our life, in every facet of our life, in every way, we are commanded to be witnesses, to point back to who God is. And we, we work, the work of our lives, the work of what we do, is to proclaim Christ, to proclaim Jesus, the good news of God's kingdom, established here and now, in all sectors of society, through both word and through deed. Think about how we hear witness being used oftentimes. It's oftentimes in the midst of a crime. And the purpose of a witness is someone who can testify to what they have seen and what they've heard and what they've experienced. They can point back to a reality that they live through that bears witness for everyone listening. So uh, thing number one is we need to experience God. We need to be constantly experiencing it. And I don't mean just like, yeah, back when I went to VBS when I was in elementary school or middle school or back when I went to a camp when I did this, uh, I, I gave my life over to God and that was good and nothing has really happened since. No, we need to be constantly leaning into God doing, we talked about this in January, a new thing in our hearts and lives that we're constantly mortifying and putting to death the things inside of us that is sin nature. And we're constantly uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to do new works inside of us where we become more loving and more generous and more good and more kind and more gracious and more merciful, all the things that God already is perfectly, that we're uh, bringing those things up inside of us, that the fruit of the Spirit is bubbling out over us. So we experience that. We experience what God has done inside of us. And then we bear witness to what God has done inside of us, both through word and through deed. Now, this is an important distinction because I find that uh, this is not true for all cases and all circumstances, but I find that most of the time we're either really good at proclaiming uh, who Jesus is and witnessing to him through word or through deed. Here's what I mean by that, okay? Uh, some of us are really, really good at just proclaiming Christ through our words in every area. If, if someone uh, interacts with our life and they come away and they're like, what'd you do this weekend? Like, oh, nothing. What'd you do? I went water skiing. And somehow you are able to connect the beauty and the, the hope of Jesus to that person going water skiing. And like you weave these intricate webs and you are constantly proclaiming who God is to you. And then some people, their lives, like I know people whose lives, they could never say a word and I would go, they love Jesus. I just, I can tell. I can tell by the way they're gracious. I can tell by the way they're forgiving, by the way they're kind. Um, and, and they just constantly testify to that. But I think the invitation is for us to both, or for us to all do both of them. Here's what I find in my life. Uh, and you might hear it through my preaching sometimes. I, I do. I genuinely want us to proclaim uh, uh, who God is through our deeds. I want people to look at our lives and experience, uh, well, like, wow, they are different. Uh, but I think sometimes, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I think sometimes some stuff creeps into my heart, and I lean that way because it's a lot easier uh, to just do stuff all the time than ever have a conversation with someone that might be borderline uncomfortable. So one of the ways that I need to grow is I need to constantly remember, like, how can I interject Jesus and the hope of Jesus and the reality of God's kingdom into this conversation? The way we talk should be marked with grace 
and to love. And the way that we communicate with people, should, we should constantly be bringing up the hope that is within us. Now, I think one of the things that trips us up here is we feel an obligation to like have it be a one and done conversation. Like let's say you have a coworker and you're like, they need Jesus. Let's say you have a family member and you're like, they are far from God. And we feel this obligation of like, okay, I'm gonna sit down with them. I'm gonna lay out the good news of God's kingdom and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it on the line. I'm gonna offer an invitation. And that, that's a big task. That's a big task. I was listening to a podcast this week uh, from some guys down in, uh, not St. Louis, I think Louisville, Kentucky, and it's called the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast, um, and they do a really good job of, of uh, grabbing uh, issues of faith and issues of, of culture and going, where do these two intersect? Um, and they were talking about evangelism, how a lot of young people don't like uh, this type of evangelism, like millennials and younger, because they're like, that's not my business to, and so they were talking about, like, what do we do as Jesus followers? How do we faithfully share God's good news with people? And one of the illustrations that they gave as they were talking about this is that the gospel is a 10-ton uh, message. Like, it's a, it's a boatload. That's a lot. That's a lot of good news. But oftentimes, we try and uh, cross it over a, one to, uh, a bridge with a one-ton weight limit. And, of course, in those relational settings, when we're trying to, like, shove all of this good news into one conversation, of course that feels overwhelming. Now, I studied pastoral ministry in college. My master's degree is in, is in a ministry-related field. Uh, my, my demon is in uh, preaching. Like, I'm, we're, we're working towards that. I don't do engineering. You know who does, though? My friend Paul. Paul, what is the best way, if I need to get... 10 tons over a one-ton bridge. And that's the only way that you've got to go over that one-ton bridge. What's the best way to do that? What, build a new bridge. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but would it instead work if we chop the 10,000, uh, or 10 tons, that's 20,000 pounds, into smaller sections and maybe took it all across a ton at a time? That would work as well. Yeah. Building a new bridge is, is an option, I suppose. But what if instead of feeling the obligation to go, I have to get all of this into this conversation, uh, what if instead we go, how, Jesus, you go into this conversation, you go into hanging out with someone, spending time with someone, you say, Holy Spirit, you're drawing all people unto yourself. Holy Spirit, you are working in this person's heart and life. It's not, you don't arrive when I arrive on the scene. You're already there. So Holy Spirit, will you Give me an opportunity to share my faith with them. It doesn't have to be all of it. It doesn't have to be monumental. But will you give me an opportunity to carve out one ton so we can get it across the bridge today? And Lord willing, I, people are made in the image of God. I hope that we are not just viewing people as projects of like, okay, I've got to hang out with you. By doing that math, that's five times. I'll hang out with you five times, and then I'll be able to get the whole 10-ton message across. Uh, I hope that we value people enough that we can go, no, I, I, I enjoy being around you. I enjoy who you, are, who you are as a person. And man, I just hope and wish and pray that you would understand the hope in the good news of God's kingdom. And so what if instead of the obligation we say, 
uh, let's, let's, let's get this across over the course of time. Now, I do want to give this caveat, and I don't like giving caveats when I preach, uh, but they shared a story in this podcast. I was like, man, that's, a, that's a, a good thing. It was about this missionary who was just trying to be relational and just trying to take things slow, and he had been having coffee with this person for two years, and uh, he... Uh, gets ready to move assignments. It came to him, that, hey, you're going to need to come home. Uh, your wife's got some uh, medical stuff you need to get treated in the States. And so he goes to sit down with this person and say, uh, like, I w- I'm going to lay it out for you. I'm going to share, um, uh, I'm share the rest that I've, I've been kind of slowly going along. And uh, he goes, hey, this means a lot to me, and I just want you to know about the hope of Jesus. And the guy's response to him was this. So we got to balance all of this out, uh, all of this out, because here was his response. He said, "If this really meant that much to you, you probably would have shared it with me two years ago." We come into this space. We sing, "I thank God." I, th- I sing of how you've saved my soul. If it means something to us, we ought to bear witness to it in our lives. So through word and then through deed. We bear witness through deed. We bear witness through how we operate, how we live our lives, how we conduct our business, how we treat our kids, how we treat our spouse, how we treat people who are different than us, how we uh, engage with the, the cashier at the gas station. Uh, there are ways that as Jesus followers, we are supposed to be markedly different. One of the ways that I think our world, as I listen to them talking, and they're like, uh, I don't know if I want anything to do with this church thing. I don't know if I want anything to do with this Jesus thing is because sometimes, and we can raise our hands for this and go, yeah, I've probably contributed to that in some way. Sometimes, people who proclaim with their lips the words of Jesus are absolute and complete jerks. They're just mean. And you go, do you understand the good news of who Jesus is, that he can come and and change that inside of you? And they proclaim that, but then their lives look nothing like it. I think Jesus uses terminology uh, of whitewashed tombs. And and I went to college in Georgia, and and my pastor down in college uh, would say with a real southern twang, whitewashing the well, don't purify the water. Our insides should be affected too, and that should carry over to how we act. So we need to be witnesses through word and through deed, through uh, declaration of the gospel and through living of the gospel. One of the ways that they talked about is uh, ask ourselves, how can I be a person that declares the gospel, that defends the gospel, that discusses the gospel, and that demonstrates the gospel? That the good news of God's kingdom can affect every area of my life that other people can see and hear of God's goodness, God's good kingdom. But I also understand, I'm not isolated from reality, I understand that this this is a difficult concept for us. And it can be really discouraging uh, because there are people who are not only apprehensive, there's people who are apprehensive to the gospel because of maybe trauma or hurt or distrust or whatever. And then there's people that are, that are like vitriolic towards the gospel. They want nothing to do with it. And in fact, they're like malicious about it. I think Paul knew this. <coughs> and it, it, it's, it Pairs well with last week's discussion, um, but, but check this out. He says in verse 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
What a bold declaration of Paul to go, listen, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem. I want to go worship there. I want to go celebrate. I want to go take God's kingdom there. Um, I'm un, under full understanding that the Holy Spirit continues to warn me. Paul, you're going to end up in prison. Paul, it's going to be hard. Paul, it's going to be difficult. And yet he goes anyways. He says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing. Zilch. Zero. Nada. It's worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task of the Lord Jesus, that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. So Paul knows what's going to happen. He knows it's going to be difficult as he bears witness to who God is. He is certain that it's going to be hard. Uh, in fact, uh, he, he's, he's like, I'm probably going to end up in prison. The Holy Spirit keeps warning me of that. <clears throat> but Paul says, I don't care about any of that. We talked about this last week when we say we're surrendering everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. God, you get it all. I don't care if I end up in jail. And this is what Paul is demonstrating here. And he says, my only aim, my only aim, the only thing he cares about is to finish the race and complete the task. <clears throat> Paul doesn't say his goal is we're going to go to Jerusalem and we're going to share God's grace with the Jewish people, and I'm believing that 2,000 believers are going to, uh, to, to be propped up. Listen, he probably has grounds to, to say that. We've seen Paul preach, we've seen Peter preach, and we've seen God do miraculous works. He probably has some grounds to stand on there. But he says, I don't care about any of that. My only aim is to finish. Here's what we're reminded of. Our goal in being God's witnesses and doing what God has asked us to do, we are not concerned with results. We are not concerned with how well things go. Our concern as Jesus followers is faithfulness. Is faithfulness. We are to be faithful and obedient to what God has asked us to do, and we're just going to trust that God is taking care of the rest. We're just going to trust that God is moving and working in these places we aren't, and we're just joining in with what he's doing. And it can be easy to go, oh, man, I, I just I wish I would see a little more progress here. Listen, are you being obedient? Are you being, are you being faithful to what he's asked you to do? You're doing it. You're doing exactly what he's asking from you. So what's that mean for us here at Connection? I think God's asking us to do some really simple things. I don't think it's complicated. I think God's asking us, as we look at Scripture, uh, God's asking us to worship him above anything else. So if we have any idols, if we have any false gods, uh, whether that be um, uh, a particular community or worship style or whatever, like we're saying, no, this is all about God. This is all about the person and work of Jesus. So worship him above everything else. I think he's asking us to stay unified, to, to, to know that people are going to know that we are Jesus followers by how we treat one another, by how we stay unified. And I think he's asking us to make disciples. He's asking us to worship him above everything else. He's asking us to stay unified as God's people. And he's asking us to make disciples. We could have literally a million metrics for are we, doing, are, are we doing good as a church? I, we could look at attendance and go, are more people here this week than they were last week? It's an exhausting hamster wheel. 
We could look at things like, like giving, like is our general budget going up? We could look at things like, uh, like building growth and, and going like, did, did we add on to the building this year? We could look at our students and kids and, and be like, man, we got a bunch of kids hanging out around down there. We got a bunch of students there. And those are all wonderful things. Those are none, none of those things are bad things. They only become inferior when we make them our metric of success as opposed to faithfulness. Were we faithful to worship God? Did we give him everything we have and say, you are worthy of it all? Did we fight for unity? And did we, did we, did we make disciples? Were we witnesses through word and through deed? And if at the end of the day, we can lay our heads on our pillows and say, yeah, we were faithful. We were obedient to those three things. We can leave the rest up to God. Now, I'm not saying this isn't some like... Uh, this isn't some uh, excuse to go, we could just be irresponsible. <clears throat> we don't have to care about other people. Uh, we don't have to worry about, but the reason we don't have to worry about results is because the king of the universe is actively wooing people to himself. If it was up to us to begin with, we're in serious trouble. My life's a mess. I, I try. My kids are all over the place. I try my best to love Amanda well. I constantly f- fall short of that. Like, if it's up to me, we're j- we might as well pack it up. If it's up to you guys, you guys are great people. We're, this is great people together here at Connection. But, we, I mean, if it's up to us, no one wants to bear that weight. We don't have to. All we have to do is be faithful what God has called us to do. What's God called us to do? Worship him above all things, fight for unity, and be his witnesses. Make disciples. And here's the beauty of faithfulness, okay? Here's the beauty of faithfulness. Faithfulness can be contextualized. Faithfulness can be contextualized. Meaning, faithfulness for me might look a little bit different than faithfulness for you. So uh, faithfulness for all of our students in here. If you're a student, raise your hand. Let me see you. If you're a student, meaning you go to school somewhere. I didn't realize all the Nardonis graduated. That's wonderful. (laughs) Congratulations. We missed you at the party, I guess. Uh, That's you guys too. So you're students. Uh, If you're students, faithfulness for you looks different than it does for me. Okay, so, so faithfulness for you uh, means like, okay, how can, I, how can I honor God? How can I bear witness through my work ethic? Like, how can people look at how I handle myself with my studies and, uh, and go, wow, you're, you're really applying yourself. And you're going, I'm, just using, I'm making the most of what God has given me to do, uh, to honor him. Uh, how, can, how, how can you bear witness? How can you be faithful through how you treat those in authority over you? Every single person in this room sits under someone's authority. And boy, oh boy, students, what an opportunity to bear witness to to show how your life has been transformed by how you engage with authority, by going, I'm going to be respectful and and I'm going to honor them, even if sometimes, listen, I hear it. There's people out there who are bonkers crazy, who who you're like, you want to say like, well, 
I don't feel like they deserve my respect. Let's calm down with that, okay? Even if you disagree with them, you can honor them and you can say, listen, we don't see eye to eye, but I'm gonna be respectful to you. I'm not gonna try and tell you off and then go tell my friends how I told the principal off. I'm not going, like I'm going, to, I'm going to handle myself in a way that goes, I don't have to get even with you, even if you slighted me. I can, I can uh, be responsible and show honor to those who are in authority over me. That's, that's faithfulness for you. Faithfulness for you means in the lunchroom or around the table at Culver's when you're with your friends, you share the good news of God's kingdom with them. That's an, I'm never going to be in the lunchroom at Bismarck or, or uh, uh, Danville High School or wherever you're at. Like it's, it's not a place that I have access to, but you do. Faithfulness for you looks different than it does for me. For parents, faithfulness looks different for you than it does for your kids, but the call is faithfulness. I think, of, I think I was thinking this morning of someone um, in our midst like Miss Mila. You know, Miss Mila has an opportunity to bear witness to God's goodness and God's tender, loving mercy. Like, like I was talking with Katrina one time, and we were talking about how uh, Mila uh, has an opportunity to live out uh, do not worry every single day. Like, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet their heavenly Father still feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And what a testimony for those of us who are constantly worrying of like, oh, where's my next, what's, what's gonna happen next? And Mila just, she trusts. She tr- faithfulness is contextualized. But faithfulness is what's required. Last thing real quick, uh, we belong, this is the last thing from the, the first, the last few verses that we're gonna go through. We belong to something bigger than ourselves. So our call is to be God's witnesses. Our metric for success is being faithful. And then we belong inside of all of that. We belong to something far bigger than just ourselves. Paul's talking to the elders here and he encourages them to be protective and to fight for unity and do all these things. And there's a couple things that he points out about their community there. And the first is this, is that theology and doctrine is worked out in community. That's why we need this collective here. He says this in verse 30. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So we need this community because not one of us has a monopoly on right theology. Like we're, we're all doing our best based off of our experiences and, and, and circumstances to read God's word and go, God, what are you saying to me through this? And then we bring it to this community and, and we go, okay, well, what does this look like to be worked out? And, and this is the story of church history over the generations that uh, they're constantly wrestling and working through, okay, what, what, is, what is honoring God through our theology and our doctrine? What does right doctrine look like? And we're not, listen, we're never going to get our theology and our doctrine 100% right. We're just, we're, we're, we're works in progress and we are finite and God is not. But it matters. It matters what we think about God. And so we need this community to work out those finer points of doctrine to say, okay, who is God? How is he interacting with us? This is why like 
you see, you see people who go, I've got this like new and unique idea that God just gave to me in 2023 for the first time. And so I'm going to go out on the fringes and, uh, and you submit that to the group and they go, uh, I, don't, I don't see that. And collectively, time and time again, it comes up and they go, I don't see that. Uh, that's, he's telling the elders here, be wary of that. Be wary of that. We have church councils throughout all of history where this is what they were doing. We talked about that one of these in Acts chapter 15. The Jerusalem council, where they were, where they were like, okay, do people need to be circumcised to come into the fold, to be a part of God's way, to be a part of, of Jesus' followers? We're constantly working this stuff out inside of the context of community. So theology is worked out in community, and mission is worked out in, in community. What we're supposed to do, it says, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Paul's mission to be a witness. Paul's mission to, to bear witness to who God is and what he's done and, and, and to preach repentance um, in the context of community. He was saying, I was with you guys when I was doing that. They spurred one another on. They spurred Paul on, Paul spurred them on, and they all reminded each other. That's why we constantly, that's why the gathering of God's people is so important. We don't do this. We've all got places we could be on Sunday morning. We all have places we could be throughout the week when we do other stuff, when we do Bible studies and, and, and prayer gatherings on Friday nights and uh, stuff like that. We all have other stuff we could be doing, but this is important because we're constantly coming back together, reminding each other of who God is and what he's asked us to do. Our lives as Jesus followers, said it once, I'll say it again, it's not complicated. It's not easy by any means. In fact, it's very, very hard. It's not complicated. It's very simple. Be a witness. Bear witness to what God has done in your life and what God has done in the lives of others. We don't even have to be successful, putting that in quotes, successful. We just have to be faithful. We just have to belong to the community. And it's through that that we see in Vermilion County people who are far from God surrender their lives to the, the truth and the hope of God's kingdom. It's through that that we see lives transformed. It's through that that we get to celebrate baptisms. It's through that that we see this room fill up with people who are enthralled with the beauty of God. All it takes is us, us bearing witness, is us saying, here's what God has done for me. He can do the same for you. Pray with me. Jesus, we want to be faithful to our call. We want to finish well. We want to, to uh, bear witness to your goodness and your mercy and your grace. So Father, help us now. As we sing uh, this last song that reminds us uh, of our necessity to do that and our obligation to do that, Lord, will you draw up in our minds, even now, the ways that we've seen you work in our lives? And then will you draw up in our minds now the, the ways that we can share that working, uh, that transformation with those who are around us? You're good, and this time is yours, God. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name.